Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Welcome to an entire week of bonus episodes titled Carry Out in Corona. Of all the conflicting information we're receiving these days, I'm having the most difficulty reconciling the call to support small local businesses with the command to stay home. Is it possible to support small restaurants without contributing to the spread of coronavirus? I felt the best way to answer this question was simply to hear the stories of small food-based businesses in crisis and ask them. For 20 years, the hospitality community has given journalist, author, and podcaster Howie Kahn delicious food, career success, friendships, and even his wife. When this crisis hit, Howie and his wife knew it was time to support the people and restaurants that had given them so much. Howie started an emergency podcast titled Takeaway Only. Every day, he tells the stories of not only an industry in crisis, but a community that has mobilized to do truly noble and heroic work. From his knowledge of the industry that is both wide and deep, Howie provided me with exactly the clarity that I sought and gives all of us clear, actionable advice when evaluating our food choices. Where do you? Where are you coming at me from? There we from? go. I'm right north of DC in Maryland. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. How about you? I'm in New York. Oh, okay. Okay. So right there in the epicenter. Yeah. Lucky me. Mm, 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 mm. How are you handling it personally? It's hard. It's. Uh, <laughs> I didn't sleep. I don't. I don't think I slept much last night at all. I'm. I'm <laughs> really. Yeah, it's it's a hard time. Mm, is it the fear or the sympathy that you feel? Um, I think it's both. I mean, I think everything is existing in extremes right now. I mean, I'm, I, yeah. I, I feel, you know, incredible gratitude for whatever health I'm able to hold on to and for that of my family. Yeah. And I'm also terrified of what's happening to people and what's happening to our society. And, you know, you got people on TV saying this week's going to be, you know, our, our 9-11, <laughs> our, our Pearl Harbor. And, you know, those things already happened. They're 9-11 and, and, and Pearl Harbor. Mm. It's, it's not so easy to compare. But I think what they meant is, is a lot of people are going to die this week. And that's not something you hear on American news briefings very often. You're not told mm. before a week starts, be careful, a lot of people are going to die. That's heavy. Mm. Mm. It is. There's no other term for it. You're right. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking this time to get on with me and give me really a bird's eye view of what's happening in this industry that you care about so much, um, the hospitality industry. So so I really want to start with that, where your heart is on this, because... I've noticed, you know, <laughs> you've had a very successful career as a journalist. You can take any topic. You have a best-selling book about sneakers. I so <laughs> you do. So you can take any topic and make it interesting and relatable to people. So you could have gone anywhere, you know, as a journalist with this crisis, but you chose really, it seems very rapidly to go right to the hospitality industry to throw your talent, your expertise, your time and your support behind them. So what's what's the heart and what's the experiences behind that? Why that industry? First of all, that's very kind of you to say mm. about about my career. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's nice. Um, but mm. this, the hospitality industry is 
my home journalistically. Mm. It's it was my my first topic, and it's my most frequent topic. I would say half of my career, if not more, has been dedicated to covering that space, and it's been for for a long time. A story about the hospitality industry, I, I think, was the first successful thing I I ever published, and it just it just mm. stuck. You know, it was always a world. I wanted to be in. You know, I've been covering it for 20 years. I've covered it from a time when it wasn't so um, popular. You know, now mm. everyone everyone posts their food on on Instagram, and <laughs> going going to restaurants is like a, a competition amongst friends who can go where, <laughs> who has who has the most points. Um, and I, you know, I was I was with with these people before that when mm-hmm. being when when being a chef was just hard and building a food mm. business was was just difficult. But it mm. um, worked its way into the mainstream because I think other people were as captivated by it as I was. It's it's compelling, mm. you know, and it it, and and it's and it's delicious. But I, I yeah. think my uh, my call to action was the fact that I've covered this industry through an incredible boom over the last twenty years, and I've covered the social enterprise side of it too. I've always tried to do stories about people in the hospitality business doing good, whether it's it's through charitable initiatives or innovations that help underserved mm. areas. But I felt like I owed it to them. You know, mm. I, I've covered them through 20 years of of, of happy times. Now's not the time yep. to walk away. Mm, mm. It's the marriage vow through yeah. richer and poorer, better and worse. You're there sure. for the industry. Mm. Yeah. And they've been there for you in, in helping you build your career. Building my career and building my personal life, too. I mean, I, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these people have become friendly or, or friends. I met my wife through this industry. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, cherished meetings and uh, good times at, at these restaurants all the time. So, you know, we woke up one morning. My wife and I have a, a podcast company, production company together. We're partners. And uh, we were just okay. like, what are we going to do? You know, what are, what are we going to do? And we just kind of sprung to action. And we said, we're going to tell stories uh, every single day until it's not needed anymore. Mm, <laughs> and mm, we're, right, mm. we're right in the thick of it. Yeah. Let's hope that's sooner rather than later. Mm. Mm-hmm. And what are the qualities of the hospitality industry that kept calling you over and over throughout this 20 year career? Well, I think the fact that it's just, you know, think about what we're talking about. Think about the word hospitality. Think mm-hmm. about it's not like covering banking or trucking or <laughs> or the or the weather mm. or the or the economy or the environment. Yeah. It it's literally people who are skilled and trained to draw you in and keep mm. you happy. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's clear to all of us that, you know, sales for restaurants are down. That means they have to let some people go. Again, I would love from you a bird's eye view of what is really happening to this industry. Tell us the domino effect and especially maybe some of the things that those of us on the outside might not realize immediately about what this will do for the industry, the people in it the economy at large, um, our culture. Independent restaurants are one of the largest employers in America. There's something like, I've, I've seen different stats, but there's between 12 and 15 million people working in independent restaurants in America. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that accounts for a huge amount of jobs and it accounts for a, a, a huge section of the economy. Now, that's just the people who actually work in and for restaurants. That doesn't include the supply chains. It doesn't mm-hmm. include the transportation. It doesn't include the PR and marketing. It doesn't include the media who covers them. It doesn't include mm-hmm. all of these things. So mm-hmm. the size of this is it's huge. It's it's much bigger than, you know, going to your local Waffle House and, and seeing the lovely person who makes your grits. Um, yeah. And and but but, you know, you think of that person who's who's dear to you, who is able to take care of you and you multiply it by millions. Now, imagine that all of those people are at risk all at one time. Restaurants are not businesses that are flush with cash. If you operate a restaurant, um, as one of my podcast guests said, Martha Hoover, who runs a great restaurant group in Indianapolis, you need to put butts in seats. Without butts in seats, there's no income. If a restaurant has a bad Monday night, it's detrimental to their business. If they have a bad Monday night and a bad Tuesday night, it's detrimental to their month. If they have three bad days in a row, it might be detrimental to their business. Now, imagine saying to these people, you can't open at all. Mm. You're closed. There is no cash for you. They don't have reserves. We're not talking about Chase or Bank of America here. There's not a lot of liquidity. Yeah. Um, So many of these restaurants were told you have to close, and some made that choice. Um, When it comes to the health versus um, their ability to stay open, Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that decision in general? For I, people that were told I think, to close? well, I think, you know, there's there's all these state mandates to to stay home and to not gather publicly. Some states um, allowed restaurants to stay open at 50 percent capacity for a little while and then close them down completely. There are uh, laws that say people can open to do takeout, um, takeaway only, as is the name of, of yeah. my show. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's a complicated thing. I mean, I've, I've heard from restaurateurs who felt compelled that they had to close down their restaurant and get rid of all opportunity to make money because they didn't feel like it was fair or safe to ask anyone to work in these conditions. Yeah. There's people who are keeping their restaurants open whose teams are incredibly fired up and honored to be working almost mm-hmm. like, you know, it's military service where they yeah. feel like they're serving their community. Um, in a way that nobody else can right now. There's a third tier of things going on where restaurants have completely flipped into charitable missions and they're cooking meals for the elderly who who aren't allowed and cannot and should not go out at all or for hospital workers or for sanitation workers or for anybody who needs to be fed who either is too vulnerable to get a meal or is working too hard to think about where their food's going to come from next. So I... I trust in a lot of these people that they're doing the right things for themselves mm. and their organizations. I do not have um, in, a, in in umbrella like moral stance to take over the own yeah. industry to t- yeah. take over the whole industry. People have to do what's what's right for them. People have to stay safe and I think people right. are trying their best to stay safe. Right, right. And as one of your guests said, um it's so dependent on so many things. I think she owned a very large restaurant where people could literally spread out and it was safe to keep that open. And then she was trying to open a brand new restaurant, which was very physically small and it it simply wasn't safe. And so I think that makes a lot of sense to me that there is no one right answer. Mm -hmm. Um, mm, I'd like to address the 
the second two groups that you discussed. So the groups that have switched to carry out and delivery, and mm-hmm. then the groups that have really turned this into a mission right yep. now. So for those that are doing delivery and carry out, first of all, from their perspective, um, you talk about butts and seats. Is it even possible to keep up with sales um, from that kind of model? Or is that just, it's, we're talking about really, you're just trying to triage with that. I've heard from restaurateurs who are doing that. They're not doing so with the idea in mind that they are going to be making 100% of their revenue. They're, right. they're doing it to keep as many people employed as possible. They're doing it to make some revenue. They're doing it to serve their communities. Um, Revenue for carryout versus revenue in a regular restaurant can dip 90%. People are making 10% of their revenue right now, 20% of the revenue, 30% of the revenue. I know there are a couple restaurants out there, um, on the other hand, who have had better weeks flipping to carryout than they ever did running <laughs> their restaurants. Um mm because of their ability to scale and because of the the quality of the food. And I think people in this time are also really looking for comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they, if they know their favorite, you know, three Michelin star chef is suddenly serving a roast chicken and some mashed potatoes for 35 bucks versus, you know, their tasting menu for 300 bucks a person, mm. the, a lot of hungry people are going to, are going to try to get with that. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So sticking with this group and going, you know, from their perspective as owners to our perspective as consumers, um, I think this has been an ethical gray area for me and other people that, you know, I interact with. There's this I feel like we're getting a very mixed message um, from our government saying we want to support small businesses as much as you can. Clearly, it's legal for them to stay open in some capacity, but legal is not always ethical. And we're also being told stay home as much as possible, limit any any venturing outside, you know? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. where as consumers, are we supposed to draw the line between the sincere desire to support small businesses and do take away as much as possible and also stay home because we never know what we might be bringing into this restaurant when we go to pick up or what risk we might be putting a delivery driver at. So as consumers, how are we supposed to (laughs) interpret all of this and solve this ethical dilemma? I think it's really stressful. I think it's a stressful mm-hmm. decision. I think it's equally stressful now to go to the grocery store and 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 yes. do a shop and come home and figure out all the new guidelines for how you clean a plastic container, how you clean a cardboard container, how you clean your vegetables. Are you supposed to use soap? Do you purel your kale? Like, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> and then, you know, going to the store takes whatever time it takes, and then it takes double the amount of time to to disinfect all your Mm. groceries. So I think eating is complicated right now. And I think Mm. it really all stems from the fact that the science surrounding this virus is, is also very uncertain and not definitive. And we get a Mm. lot of mixed messages is, is it in the air? How long does it stay in your clothes for? How many times do I have to wash my hands? And the answer is a lot to all those things. I mean, I would proceed, (laughs) I would proceed with extreme caution in every circumstance that you have. In terms of, of restaurants, it's a question of who do you trust? Um, mm. do, do you know your local restaurateur? Are you a local someplace? How does, how does the restaurant look normally? In certain, you know, in certain 
uh, situations, I would trust my local restaurant to make clean food uh, implicitly. You know, I, I, yeah. I know what kind of operation they run. Nick Kakonis in Chicago, for example, who owns Alinea, who is doing a carryout business right now, they've converted their, you know, amazing avant-garde restaurant to serve, you know, 3,500 pounds of, of Coke Avon a week. He's got cameras in the kitchen and he is watching people wash their hands regularly. Wow. You know, so there is like, you know, there's a little bit of a big brother is watching you quality to this. But I say, you know, bring bring that on. Like, show me the cleanliness. Put a webcam on your website. Show me your kitchen. Show me how how often people are washing down surfaces. Mm. You know, I'm not cooking every meal myself. I'm exhausted mm. at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I will I will call a restaurant and I will get some carry out and I will wipe it down. But the more they can tell me about... Um, their protocol in terms of how much they're cleaning, the better, the better mm-hmm. I feel. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to see it as much as possible, you mm-hmm. know, but, mm. but certain restaurants are very good at being clean and I do trust those people. Yeah. And that's helpful. I think to hear that we don't necessarily owe it to a restaurant just because it's local to, um, to go there, but they have some responsibility also in communicating to us what sorts of steps they're taking right now. I think so. Even if it's just if you call in and say, you know, are your delivery people wearing masks and gloves? Like they should say all, you know, they should have a protocol for that. All this should be covered. Like their communication points should be established. Mm. Mm-hmm. 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 And I wish there were some guidelines to that. I know the government obviously yeah. has a lot to deal with, with keeping yeah. <laughs> us all alive. And the restaurant industry has a lot to deal with, with also trying to survive this. But communication, one thing I've learned from from doing this podcast is communication is really key mm-hmm. on all levels. Mm-hmm. I think that's helpful. I think you've actually helped me quite a bit. Okay. Um, figure out how, you know, just personally to yeah. respond to this dilemma. So, yeah. and, you, and, yeah. you, and, and your response might change day to day. It doesn't have to be consistent. And there are other ways to help restaurants, right? It's not just ordering. Yes. Food. It's seeing like, do they have a GoFundMe page for their, for their staff's well-being in, in a time of being laid off? Do they have gift cards that you can buy? Do they have t-shirts and hats? Can you buy, can you reserve a dinner now for October and pay for it up front? There's all kinds, there's all kinds of ways. Yeah, yeah. And uh, an owner actually mentioned to me yesterday something I had never considered, which is some people are buying gift cards really without even the intention to use them. You know, you could buy a gift card and cut it right up. And that's just a donation. Um, Or buy buy a gift card and give it to somebody who needs it, you know, more. mm, There's mm. gift your gift your gift card. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, speaking of that, of philanthropy, um, some of your guests, let's talk about that, that third group. Some mm-hmm. of your guests are really doing extraordinarily selfless mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you just, I mean, obviously you can't give me a synopsis of every episode that you've done so far, but can you give us a sense of some of the things you've heard that have really inspired and encouraged you during this time? I mean, this was one of the reasons why I had to do this show because I knew the restaurant industry was going to show up and fight for themselves and fight for mm. the people who who are within, you know, within their ranks Restaurant people are incredible at mobilizing. They're mobilizing now more than ever. So Mm, we're talking about people who have set up lobbying groups in their cities and states with having no political background whatsoever, and they've been successful. We're talking about people who are, you know, closing their very popular restaurants that are takeaway restaurants mostly uh, to serve hospitality workers who aren't getting a meal otherwise and who are also, you know, 
um, taking care of basic supplies like um, soap and, and vegetables and toothpaste and things like that. So there's a, you know, a, a hospitality world canteen thing that's going on. Jessica Coslow is doing that at Squirrel. She's doing it with the Lee Initiative, uh, Edward Lee and Lindsay of Kasich, who have uh, ramped up an incredible effort with Maker's Mark to open these uh, service centers, essentially, for restaurant workers all over the country. I think there's 12 now. Ellen Bennett, who makes, you know, beautiful uh clothing for cooks, aprons and and mm. uh, oven mitts and shoes, has changed her entire factory operation to make masks for medical workers and now anybody who, who needs them. Um, and all of the people have really thought about how to re-engineer the inner workings of their restaurants so their staff are taken care of in the future and so this doesn't happen again mm. so the the social action i have an episode coming up later this week about um a woman in brazil her name is nikki gritschka and she works for an organization called refetorio gastromotiva who provides meals to some of the most vulnerable populations in rio um, about how hospitality is is changing in that sector right now, too. I mean, they try to serve meals with dignity to people who have no access to meals, mm. and right now they can't socially gather either. So how do you re-engineer your charitable initiatives in this time as well? And that's something you have to think of, too. It's not just um, people sitting down for nice meals in restaurants. Right. It's it's people who depend on places like soup kitchens for, the, for their food. They can't gather now either. So how do you do, how do you do that model mm -hmm. that's hospitality too and it's important mm -hmm. to, to shine a light on that as well mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i agree with you that the agility of some of these businesses that i'm speaking with this week and that you are featuring on your podcast um carry out only it, it's mind-boggling to me they are pivoting literally over a weekend because i think that's another thing about this crisis is there was almost no warning I think if you were really watching the models um, and you were listening to the models over the government, <laughs> then you maybe had a sense of where this was going. Mm -hmm. But literally over a weekend, people had to pivot their entire business. One of the interesting interviews I did recently that hasn't run yet was with uh, Julia Sullivan, who runs Henrietta Red in Nashville. And she was telling me that they were a little bit better prepared for most because they had just had a large tornado sweep through their oh. neighborhood. It, de it devastated their neighborhood. So they were already set up for this kind of triage mode where they were serving their community in a certain way. And they kind of rolled right out of tornado triage into this. Um, so they kind of had this warning in the form of a natural disaster. But you're right. The pivoting is incredibly fast. It's incredibly efficient. Um, and it's incredibly admirable. It is. It is. And I have been wondering that as I read some of these stories and, you know, listen to some of your episodes, uh, where where is this cash coming from, Howie? And how can we help with some of these efforts? I Like I said, locally, I think there's things that you can even hear um, on this podcast this week about how to help in D.C. But if you live somewhere else, how can you find some of these efforts? How can we help? I mean, you can literally go to GoFundMe and search for the word restaurant, and there's mm. now thousands of results that quickly come up for people mm. who need relief. Um, there's national advocacy groups and regional advocacy groups that have now popped up probably wherever, you know, you live, dear listener. You know, just look up, mm. uh, <laughs> you know, uh independent restaurant coalition or New York hospitality coalition or, mm. you know, California 
hospitality coalition all these all these things have have now started um journalistic outlets too like eater and and food and wine and bon appetit have also done a great job of mm. putting resources up on their their website for for chefs and restaurants and anybody who wants to donate but gofundme is a quick place or even just mm. google you know even just go to the website of your favorite local restaurant and see what they're doing because they're, what they're, they're doing. probably doing something it's mm. it's uh mm helping is 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 very accessible. Yeah, so places like, you know, Squirrel that you featured mm. on Friday mm-hmm. is that obviously they have the space to do this kind of heroic work, but the cash that's all coming from volunteers because like you said they run on such slim margins. Yeah, the, I mean a lot of a lot of donation money, the Lee initiative which is backed by Makers Mark is 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 really helping with some of the costs. One thing, you know, restaurants do have is is food, right? So, mm. you know, they have orders that they're trying to fulfill and they're trying to also on top of taking care of their staff during this time, they're trying to take care of their supply chain. So, yeah. you know, do you cancel all the orders? Do you work with your vendors about a price break to, to sort of stay in business with them a little bit and keep them mm. afloat a little bit? People are also worried about their farmers, their distributors, the people who make their special butters and cheeses and jams, you know, their vegetables, where those where those come from, their milk. So I, I think there's a way in which people want to take care of their distributors too without stopping everything out right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Is there any one thing you would want my listeners to walk away with from this episode? I I, I love that they're listeners. It means that mm. they are listening and they enjoy listening and their ears are open. So I, mm. I think the whole key right now is is keep listening. Keep, mm. keep hearing the stories. Let your empathy build from this. Figure out how you can help listening helps listening alone helps listening is in action maybe down the road you'll remember what you heard and you'll you'll tip somebody extra or you'll be able to invest in a local restaurant or you'll think about a supply chain in a different way when you're shopping for groceries um i think i think listening is a good place to start i think listening is is um listening is a radical thing right now Mm. Mm. it's wonderful advice I really appreciate that. Uh, Speaking of listening, you are sharing an enormous amount of um, incredible information, helpful, inspiring, um, informative, and really it's kind of spurring people onto action. So can you tell my listeners where and how to find you and your podcast right now? Sure, of course. Uh, my podcast is, ca- is called Takeaway Only. It runs daily, Monday through Friday, although I think some weekend episodes are inevitably going to happen because <laughs> we just have an enormous amount of reporting and uh, content to get through. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, and you can follow me on Instagram for daily updates at HowieCon, and you can follow uh, my production company, that I share with my wife, Casey Kahn, and my partner, Rob Corso, at Free Time Podcasts. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much, Howie. Becky, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity, and it's great to talk to you. Likewise. Have a great day. You too. Okay. Bye. Thanks again to Howie. You can find all the information about his latest podcast, Takeaway Only, on my website, or simply search for the podcast in any player. Tomorrow, I'll continue this series by welcoming farmer and owner of Moon Valley Farm, which provides local food to over 150 D.C., Maryland, and Virginia restaurants. 
The vast majority of these are closed right now, so Emma has quickly pivoted her business to a CSA model that serves both her customers and hospitality workers in need. Subscribe now to be sure you get Emma's perspective and to learn how you can cooperate in her efforts. Thanks and have a great day, my friends.